0: going to read from God's Word this morning. I really pray that the, the strength of this passage works in our hearts. Yeah. This is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. The chief priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed Because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead they seized Peter and John and because it was evening they put them in jail until the next day but many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000 the next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please grab a seat. Good morning.
1: Hey, my name's Tim, I'm the lead pastor here. It's, it's uh, Tyler said when he was leading worship that he loves this weather. Um, I just object to that, so. Um, Clearly there's fans of, of this weather. I, I'm just gonna be honest, I woke up and I was cold and a little uncomfortable and it just felt really dreary. And then I just need to tell you, it's really good to walk into this place and be led in song and to be able to sing together. And so my day just took a big turn. So Tyler, I'm not on board with the weather, but I'm on board with being here and singing together. And this is this is just great. Um, one quick thing, and then I wanna pray and, and dive into our our scripture for, for this morning. Um, uh, it's really good to be here in this space together. Um, or if you're watching online or, or watching at a later time, so glad to be with you in that way. Um, there are a, a bunch of us who are not in this room. Uh, they're actually uh, in the level below us in, in our uh, basement, in our lower level. And there's a bunch of kids and a bunch of volunteers and teachers who are leading our kids. Uh, and thank you. That's awesome. There we go. So, and, and hopefully, Hopefully we're clapping for the kids and for the volunteers. They're not having to clap for themselves. That's that's the intention. Thank you for those of you that are serving and leading our kids and um, our vision and our hope and our heart is that the the youngest among us from from birth to fifth grade is downstairs and that they would um, meet people who love Jesus, that they would engage with scripture, that they would encounter a community, even at the youngest of age, that they want to be a part of because they're knowing more of who Jesus is and coming to follow Him. That takes a ton of preparation and a ton of work and a ton of resources. And so, first, I just want to say thank you. And secondly, I just want to let you know that there's a, an important training going on uh, for all the volunteers and teachers after this gathering today. Uh, they're going to be having lunch together um, and then going over kind of what the future is in this next season. New curriculum. Um, there's new people that are serving. And so, uh, if First of all, if if you're a part of that, thank you for taking the time, not just to serve on a regular month, but just extra today. Um, But if you see uh, somebody who's headed downstairs later or is serving, would you just give them a high five or a hug and tell them thank you. Um, And if uh, you have kids and they've not been downstairs, go check it out. Um, But great things are happening. Uh, We're hearing wonderful stories and just it's an important day today as we train. And then we're opening up a new classroom uh, next, next Sunday, the, the 29th. And so that's a, a big step forward. So I want to pray for all of that right now and then pray for us as we, as we open Scripture together. So would you pray with me? God, we, we do thank you for today. We thank you for waking us up. We thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for giving us breath in our lungs and we thank you for putting us around other people who are seeking to know and follow you and God today as as we uh, know that there's a just an important moment after this gathering where uh, leaders and um, volunteers and teachers who are influencing kids not just in our church but hopefully in our city as well um, that that would be a just a really important and encouraging uh, and great time and, and God we ask that you would use us as a church to reach the next generation. And as we think about um, individuals and families and couples that are bringing children into this world in our city, that we would be one of many places around the city that is pointing to you and declaring your name clearly and living and representing you well. And particularly on Sundays when the classrooms are going and, and there's your truth being taught and kids are doing crabs and interacting with one another, that that would be a time Uh, when hearts and minds are formed for the long haul of lives that are going to follow you. And so God, would that take place uh, today, right now as it's happening uh, in our lower level, would it happen next week and every week following? Um, And God, we ask you for that. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time, into this moment. Would you, would you enliven us? Would you wake us up? Would you help us to be alert and ready to hear from you and then also ready to follow? Would you empower us with, uh, the strength and the courage to, to make the decisions that you're inviting us into and to follow you. And Jesus, as we've already declared this morning in our songs, you are our redeemer. You're the one that has extended grace to us. And so uh, we name you and claim you as our savior. We also need you to guide us and teach us. So as we look to your word now, would you, would you do that very thing here this morning? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, so uh, twins were born, uh, a boy and a girl, and uh, they were born to a, a family that was, was pretty well-to-do. Uh, they had uh, resources. They were well-educated. Uh, we, would, we would consider them privileged, um, had a great home. There was already other kids in the, in the, in the home, in the family. Uh, and these twins were born. And as they grew up, uh, the boy in particular uh, showed just a huge capacity for learning. Uh, went to school uh, and just did well and thrived uh, blazed through kind of normal education really quickly graduated early went to college at at seventeen um, and actually, if you can believe this or not, had a doctorate so it 's kind of that pinnacle of education had a doctorate at at twenty one no no one no one 's done that no um, so that's that 's really impressive name was not doogie Hauser, um, but he was a doctorate at a very young does anybody even know who Doogie Hauser is? I just really dated myself. Um, so uh, I'm going to start over. So let's pray. Um, that was, I, don't, I don't know where that came from. Doctor at 21. Uh, he gets a professorship uh, at uh, 25 in New York City. So he's teaching grad school. He's teaching uh, college students, grad students uh, at age 25 in New York City. Kind of kind of top of his game, so to speak does that for a couple of years and then he returns home and he goes home because he's from Germany and it's the 1930s and there's a tremendous unrest in Germany. Hitler has taken over, risen to power, is threatening war. Uh, the country has changed so much. Uh, for, for many, they think it's changed in a good direction and they're following Hitler. And then for the minority uh, they're opposing Hitler and do not like how it's changed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, goes home to oppose Hitler and the changes that are happening in his country and he begins to pay the price and kind of on the side and underground he's helping to uh, some other guys who are starting churches and they start something called the Confessing Church to resist what many of the churches were doing which was following Hitler and his agenda. Uh, he started a school for people who wanted to follow Jesus and maybe even become pastors and, and start underground churches as, as well and he he wrote extensively and published extensively. And then in 1939, he returned to the United States of America and he left a war torn Europe and a country divided and radically changed. And he came to America and it was a breath of fresh air. We were not at war at the time. Uh, We were thriving. And actually um, in comparison to Germany, the U S was thriving and safe. And almost immediately after getting back in the U.S., he realized that he couldn't stay. And he made this decision to leave the safety and the security of the U.S. and to return to Germany. And at the time, his friends told him to stay. At the time, it seemed like a ridiculous decision. At the time, it seemed like this very bold and risky and courageous decision to leave the U.S. and that safety and security and to go back into risk and threat and a lack of safety because he opposed Hitler and his agenda. He returns to Germany and uh, publishes some more and he participates in a failed threat to to kill, to assassinate Hitler. Um, He has to hide and flee at times and stay underground. He falls in love. And he proposes and he's got a fiance in early 1943. And a few short months after that proposal, he's arrested and thrown in jail. And he would not have another free day of his life. He remained in jail for two years. And the day after Easter in 1945, shortly before the war ended and Hitler committed suicide, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung and executed. Many of you probably know a little bit about the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe you've heard his name. Maybe that's all news to you and you've never heard that before. As a follower of Jesus, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of the most courageous stories that we have kind of in our modern times. There's stories in scripture, there's story throughout history, there's stories of today, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer in our kind of time, if I can say that our modern time stands out as one of the most courageous, bold, risky sacrificial lives. Lived, And he's pointed to so often because we have so much of his writing and his letters and so we know what he was thinking and what he was feeling and what he was believing and how he understood the truth of scripture and how he followed Jesus. The truth is, is that each and every one of us have experienced courage in some way. We've made decisions that have been risky. We've made decisions that have been sacrificial. We've made decisions that our friends have gone, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? We know what it's like to to step out into something that feels dangerous or causes fear. Simple definition of of courage is this, mental or moral strength to venture, persevere and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. To To be brave, to be courageous, to be bold, and to step into something that could be dangerous, could cost us. The ability to do something that frightens one. We've all done something bold or courageous before. When, when the word courage or frightens one, when I read that and think of that, I immediately think of times that I've gone to very high places with friends and gone along for the hike up there or the climb up there, whether it be in a tree or on a cliff, because we're going to go jump into some water somewhere and think, yes, I have to go along. And I've gotten caught in this as a dad repeatedly because I have sons who, like most males, are in that season where the, the, the decision making part of the brain isn't fully formed. But what they can decide is to make fun of their dad. And so I have to go along and do crazy things, even though it doesn't seem wise. And so to stand on the edge of a cliff and then to jump in, especially if I'm not first and they've already gone, I have to go. And there's that kind of courage when it's something that is fearful or perhaps even dangerous, but it's a completely different kind of courage when we're doing it not for ourselves, when we're doing it for someone else. When we're doing it for Jesus, Dietrich Bonhoeffer returned to a war-torn Europe to lead a church that had, to hopefully influence a church that had gone off to follow Hitler and said, no, there's another better, truer way, and ended up laying down his life to do that. There's a kind of courage that we do for someone else for Jesus. There's a completely different kind of courage than jumping off a high place so that we're not embarrassed or that so people are impressed with us or so that we accomplish something new for us. The story that we're looking at that you heard read already is the first story of courage in the face of opposition by the followers of Jesus who make up this this new church after Jesus has been executed and buried in a grave and then conquered death, rose again, spent 40 days, a few weeks with his disciples, and then ascended into heaven. And then the Holy Spirit comes and the church starts. And we're just a few weeks into the church, into the history of the church as we're working through the book of Acts. A few weeks in, and these amazing radical things have happened. The Holy Spirit has come. You heard read that it moved from 3,000 to 5,000 people were following Jesus in Jerusalem at that time as a part of this church. And that meant that it was probably between 15 and 20,000 with just a few weeks of this radical move of God and the Holy Spirit. And yet what we're reading in this story today is the first, this turning point where all of a sudden there's opposition and Peter and John display this unique courage, not for themselves, but for Jesus. And what we're going to look at in the next following verses is four things that, that the, the courage for Jesus comes from. We're going to see in this, in the following verses, that courage for Jesus comes from somewhere. We don't have to generate it ourselves. We don't have to, to fake ourselves into it. It actually comes from somewhere else. It's not in our own strength and our own ability. It comes from something else. So we're going to look at four places that it comes from, and then it does come with something that we'll end with. So the very next verse after what was just read, so uh, Peter and John are are walking around in, in public, in front of crowds, teaching and talking about Jesus. They've done this before. They're continuing to do it. But enough has happened in the city of Jerusalem that there's all of these people, and, and let's just call it the power structure in the Jewish cultural center of Jerusalem, finally take note, and they say, we've got to stop this. So you get the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and it's more the Sadducees at this point because uh, Peter and John are talking about the resurrection, and Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, and so they've kind of taken the, the tip of the spear on this one to, to combat and to oppose these, these new upstarts that have started this thing called the church that they don't even know what it is or what's going on. And they said, you have to stop this. And so they put him in jail and the rulers and the scribes and all these, these leaders get together and they say, look, we've got to stop these guys from doing this. And then they said, okay, we're going to put you on trial. And so they, they form this council and they bring Peter and John in the next morning and they, they put them on trial and they start asking him questions and say, whose power or whose name are you doing this in? And they already know it's Jesus, but they're trying to find out, tell us a little bit more more about this Jesus guy. We know that we killed him and we're not sure there's this rumor that he rose, but what's going on? Because you just healed this guy, we heard last week. And so you've done it in the name of Jesus. You continue to teach and we really want you to stop. So whose power and whose name is it? And Peter steps up and it says, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to declare it's Jesus. And nobody can be saved aside from Jesus. And then we come to this verse in verse 13 after Peter has made this short speech. And verse 13 says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Um, Peter and John were, were, were normal guys. They didn't have special qualifications. Um, they, uh, in fact, they were, they were fishermen. Um, they weren't Sadducees, Pharisees, rulers, scribes, teachers of the law, rabbis. Um, they may not have even been landowners. Like they were just common men. And they're having this, this outsized influence on the city and on that moment. And so they said, you're, you're doing these things and this guy has been healed. And these people are listening to you and following you. And you're speaking with, with authority like, like this guy Jesus had been rumored to do but you're just normal people. You're just ordinary. And so this says they took note that they had been with Jesus. Courage for Jesus, for them and for us comes from being with Jesus. And that might sound like the most simplest thing ever. Courage for Jesus comes from being with Jesus. For many of us, we're wired and our natural instinct is to say, I need to be courageous for Jesus so that he'll want to hang out with me. I need to be courageous. I need to make some significant decisions and, and get out there and be courageous for Jesus so that he'll pay attention to me and listen to me and respond to my prayers and, and be with me. And the exact opposite is true, which in itself is a form of grace. He says, you don't have to be courageous in your own power. Over and over and over, what we see and what we see in, in this particular story is that, that Peter and John are are courageous because they're convinced and they're confident in who Jesus is because they've spent time with Him. Now, I'm jealous of Peter and John because they got to walk around with Jesus and sit and share food with Him. Like they could they could split a sandwich with Him and watch Jesus eat it. They could walk around with Him. They they camped out with Him. They they gave Jesus a hug. Like they 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 were physically with Jesus. We don't. We don't have that same experience. But the truth doesn't change. That our courage for Jesus in this world is to come from, is intended to come from, it's how God wired us and, and designed us, is to be with Jesus and to get to know him and to hear from him. I uh, have a friend and mentor who some of you will remember. He spent some time here with us at, at Mosaic, but um, his name's Terry Walling. Uh, and when he talks about courage and spiritual authority, when he talks about spiritual authority and courage, he, he has this kind of, uh, uh, I, I like to think of it as kind of a, a, a common person's description or definition. Um, and, and Terry would, would actually like that. He wouldn't want to sound um, super refined or, um, or learned. He would want to just sound like a normal dude. He says this. He says, courage and spiritual authority is the presence of Jesus on you when you don't even know you have it. The presence of Jesus on you when you don't even know you have it. Now, I, I don't know how that lands with you. And maybe this, is, maybe this will be a little surprising. Um, but I find myself a lot wondering if I come across as I've spent time with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I'm a pastor, and so that might sound a little weird, or you might, you might think like, oh, well, duh, that's, isn't that kind of part of your job description? Regardless if it's, if it's with us as a church family, if it's in my neighborhood, if it's out in public, like I, I wonder, like, how am I perceived? Do people see me and, and think like, that's somebody that's, that's been with Jesus? Um, and what happens is, is when I have those thoughts, I, it actually creates distance between me and Jesus because those kind of thoughts can easily feed a performance and pretend mentality rather than what's real. And for many of us, we have that. And that's what I, I love about, about Terry's definition. It's the, it's the presence of Jesus on you when you don't even know you have it. So what if we were all to collectively, I'll do this with us, we say, you know what? I'm not going to worry about how I come across I'm going to actually prioritize and think about and plan to spend time with Jesus. And then after that, let what happens, happens. I'm going to actually spend time with Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to carve out time in my schedule to be with him. I'm going to invite him into the moments when I'm doing anything else, when I'm driving, walking, working, I'm going to invite him into all those moments so that there's, there's not a moment in my life when he's not invited into it, but, but I'm going to set aside time just to, just to be with him and listen to him. that we would become more and more people who are like Jesus because we've spent time with him. And then wouldn't it be beautiful if we began to see in each other, like, oh, I see Jesus in you. I see this attitude change. I see this demeanor change. I see this language shift in how you talk to other people. Your behavior is different. You, you seem like you've, you've been with Jesus. Oh really? I haven't actually been focusing on that. I've just been focusing on being with Jesus. The presence of Jesus on you when you don't even know you have it. If we could time travel back to that moment when Peter is standing up in front of this council and being drilled with questions, and if he came across as someone who's been with Jesus, I don't think he was consciously thinking, how can I look to others like I've been with Jesus? I think he had been with Jesus and he had been transformed by Jesus and we know he's been filled with the spirit. And then he's just there and present. Our vision statement as a church is this. In a city known for self-reliance, loneliness, and cynicism, we are compelled by the love of Jesus to live distinctly different lives. We will contribute to a movement of courageous and resilient disciples formed by God's word, empowered by the spirit, and sent by Jesus. We will equip and send people who break barriers, love neighbors, and uniquely contribute to more of God's kingdom coming to the Portland, Vancouver metro area. We dream of a day when every cynic comes to know the Savior. All of the lonely find a family, and the activist joins God's mission. The second line of this, go back one, one slide here, Contribute to a movement of courageous and resilient disciples who are formed by God's word, empowered by the Spirit, and sent by Jesus. When we think of a disciple, that's what we think of, as somebody who's spent time with Jesus and formed by his word. Not just a book, but have spent time with him. And this maybe, if you've been here on a regular basis in this last couple months, this might sound like a broken record, and, and that's good and fine. But spending time in Scripture is a key and primary way of being with Jesus. We started a Bible reading plan, uh, three, three weeks ago, three weeks and a day ago. So if you started today, you'd be joining us on day 22, which is great. You can join in on 22. I think anything ahead of 364 is totally fine. Just jump on. It's a few minutes in the beginning of a day. And I've, I've said this over and over and you've heard it from others as well there's something about reading along with other people. And if you're on your own reading plan, which I was last year, I didn't do our collective one last year and I jumped in October 1st this year. That's great if you're doing your own plan, but there is something also an added benefit of reading along with others. And even in this morning of, of looking through and, and reading through and being done with reading it. And then I just can't help it, but I click over and there's like over 70 people in our church that are, are on the plan already. Uh, and, and to see the, the check marks of like, who's read today? And there's just something about that. I'm, I'm being with Jesus and there's others in our church that are being with you. And maybe you do it at a different time in the afternoon or late morning or what, it doesn't matter when you do it. It's, there's just this experience of going, I'm spending time with Jesus. And sometimes it brings me to tears. Sometimes it teaches me something new. Sometimes I get convicted about something. Sometimes it feels like an utter waste of time. But over time, the habit of being with Jesus on a regular basis changes who we are. And we're regularly, daily being invited into a relationship with the God of the universe. And it's that that is the, the beginning point and the foundation for stepping out in courage in our world and in our life today. Courage comes from being with Jesus. Courage for Jesus also comes from an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we see this in, in Peter back up to verse eight. It says this, and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, Said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this. Like, again, if 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 you're familiar with the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, if you're familiar with Peter, like it's hard not to love Peter it is so wonderful that kind of the, the disciple that we know the most about is this mess of a disciple that we can all just get in line behind and follow and go, good. I don't have to be perfect. I can follow this guy. He, he started the church with this guy. Peter steps up and he says, Hey, is this you? Is this what you're asking guys? Is this what you want to know about? And then he starts with it. So hear this. Like this dude has not had like any kind of speaking training or formal education. And he's standing up in front of a council with all of this boldness and confidence and courage. And he's saying, are we all clear on what's being asked here? Okay. So he restates their question and brings it all to clarity and says, now hear this. And we're going to read that in just a moment. But it's all preempted by Peter filled with the spirit. Now, there's a few times and we've read a couple already where it says that somebody was filled with the spirit. And this, and and let's get real technical just for a moment. Just for a moment, that one word right there, Peter filled with the Spirit. If if you are to go back to the original language and to look at that one word and to break it all apart and and get real technical and, and nerdy on it, the really helpful thing about that is that we learned something there. That what happens to Peter in that moment when it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit is that something was done to him. Peter did not wake up that morning and go on an an, an agenda of like a fill station for the Holy Spirit. Now, did he wake up that morning and pray and go, God, I need to hear from you? Absolutely. I'm sure he did. He was in jail. He started the morning in jail. But it says when he got up and spoke that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, which meant, get this, that God decided in that moment, I'm going to give you a unique experience with the Holy Spirit for this moment, for you to step up and to speak and to be bold and to say something that is as crazy as, then know this, to all of these people you're standing in front of. Peter was able to speak, live, and be beyond what his own kind of qualifications and experiences because God had empowered him in the Holy Spirit for that in a unique way. The whole church has the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. That might sound weird. You might not know what to do with that yet. You might not know how to how to... Submit to the Holy Spirit and follow his prompting and leading in your life. This is a unique moment where God says the Holy Spirit is going to be working in you, Peter, in this moment. And get this, it's uh, Luke chapter 12. So we went through Luke for the last two years before we started Acts. Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts. It's a two-parter. Um, If you go back to Luke, and we talked through this, I don't know how long ago, a year and a half ago, maybe something like that. Check this out. Luke chapter 12. Jesus is in the moment of speaking to his disciples and he's giving all these warnings and encouragements. I like how Jesus does that. I'm going to warn you and encourage you. I'm going to warn you and encourage you. And he says this, and maybe you'll remember this, and if not, this is a massive encouragement. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12 says this. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time, what you should say. That's awesome. You, do you realize that? Like we did, and, and a grand, the, this is a really old book, right? We know that. Like people have been reading this and, and, and this records something that actually happened. Like this was a thing, like people were in the room with Jesus. People, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he's like, hey, glad you're following me. Glad we, you know, glad you saw me do these miracles and heal these guys and make food out of like a little bit of food, but food for a lot of people and, and all the things I'm teaching and I'm radically transforming your heart and your mind. And, and this is all great, but it's going to get really hard. And there's going to be a time and you, you probably can't even imagine this yet, but hey guys, just so you know, you're going to be pulled before synagogues, authorities, and rulers. Nah. Like, Jesus, you are top of the polls. We are riding your coattails. This is going to be awesome forever. That doesn't make any sense. And please don't suffer and die. Like, and that's, that's where the disciples are. And he says at that moment, way back then, when you were brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. I do this on a regular basis. I I get up and talk in front of people on a regular basis. I I would be shaking in my boots. I would be scared. I would need courage and clarity and confidence and boldness, which is really good because the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Not many of us have experience with this. Not many of us have experience with the Holy Spirit showing up and filling in all of the needs and words and thoughts and attitudes and demeanor that we need in a given moment. And so we stay back out of those situations and we do a lot of work to avoid having to rely on the Holy Spirit in a critical courage requiring moment. And yet we have this promise from Jesus that when we find ourselves there, we will be able to have courage for Jesus because it comes from not us, not my mind, not my intelligence, not my strength, not my capacity. It comes from being filled with somebody other than me. It comes from a filling of the Holy Spirit and God's promise to us is that when we find ourselves in those situations, he will show up in this kind of way that takes a step of faith. We have to move beyond where we are right now to step into that kind of moments that requires God to show up in that kind of way. And that is frightening. And that is scary. And yet, we have a God who promises to show up and to be there in that moment. Um, I, I, gotta, I gotta tell you this story. Um, I wasn't really planning on it, but I'm gonna... I'm gonna if it's any, if it's any help, like this is this is hard for me on a on a regular. I can do this on Sunday morning. All all day long. I got, this is fine. This is hard for me on a regular basis. I got to, I got to know a neighbor recently. Um, uh, he came over. I was I was getting a. Uh, gosh, I don't. I might be able to. I cut another tree down in my yard. Um, and here, here's the deal. When I moved to, to Portland 16 years ago, I had no idea that, that one of our city's gods was trees and we worship trees and that you can't cut trees down. Um, even if you purchase the land and the tree and own the tree, you can't cut the tree down. So please don't record this. Um, and I cut a tree down and just shared that. Like, this is what I did this weekend. And somebody said, did you get a permit? I got like, to the office of Tim who owns this land? No, and they explained to me like, no, 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 you have to get a permit and this is why. And I can appreciate that now. This was a tree that I planted, so I gave myself permission to cut this down. It's only been in a couple years. Cut it down. Wow, I didn't plan on sharing any of that. Anyways, neighbor walks over while I'm doing that. Didn't judge me because he wanted uh, uh, to pump up his basketball. And he says, hey, I see your boys playing basketball all the time, do you have a pump? Can you help me pump up my basketball? I said, sure. We get to know each other. Um, He's lived in his house for a little while. We hadn't talked yet. Um, and he says, Oh yeah, by the way, you know, we get to know. And he says, I'm a, I work at the golf course. Can we be friends? Like, so he says, sure. you want to come golfing sometime? Yes, we'll go golfing sometime. I'm golfing with him. Um, and I don't, I'm a, I don't know how to golf. I, I, I have a golf bag that somebody left at my house and that's my qualifications as a, as a golfer. Um, so I go golfing with him cause I want to, I want to get to know him and I want to free round of golf. Um, so I can keep up with my boys, and so I I go to golf with him, and he brings another friend, and I was like, whoa, 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 I, like that guy has a much nicer bag. Like he's, you guys know how to golf, I don't. This is going to be really embarrassing. So I did all of the disqualifications ahead of time. Like I'm going to slow you down. This is going to be really embarrassing. Da, da, da. We get to we get the whole five and we walk up and there's, it's slowed down and so we get backed up behind the guys that are waiting for the guys that are in front of them and it's two uh, older gentlemen and one of them walks over and says, um, hey, you guys, uh, I got a, anybody got a dirty joke? Um, I said, no. He's like, well, I, uh, I got a dirty joke for the day. None of you are pastors or priests, right? <laughs> Tell a dirty joke, which I have not repeated and will not repeat now. Um, that's on hole five. On hole 13, I'm talking to the other guy because we hit balls to the left side and my neighbor hit balls to the right. So we, we went to the left side. And as we're walking, hole 13, eight holes later, um, he finally gets to the question. We're finally at that stage in the relational development of playing golf that he says, so what do you do? I'm a pastor. He stopped midway and just bent over and just <laughs> laughed. Like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, he's like back on hole five and you did it. I go, yeah, yeah. What kind of church can, you know we start talking and i tell him about jesus and so we we follow jesus we take the bible seriously and it, it opened up this great conversation about kind of his spiritual journey and his past and it, it was great all that to say i think i could have answered very differently on hole five and the holy spirit would have shown up and i would have been completely fine in that situation You'd go no i'm a pastor please don't tell me your dumb disgusting dirty joke Oh, and by the way, do you know about grace? And you could be forgiven for your sin of telling all the dirty jokes you've all told for the first five, like I could have done that. Now, did God use it? Yes, absolutely. I say all of that to say, there are opportunities in front of us every day to step in that would require the Holy Spirit to show up and give us the strength and the clarity and the words and all of that. And we have an opportunity to learn to be courageous and to step into those more and more. The third one is this. Uh, courage for Jesus comes from gro- growing clarity of the good news. When Peter finishes that, and he, he's talking to the, uh, to, to the council, and he says, then know this, it continues, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Don't you, like he just is, that's already happening He's a number of times. You killed him, but he raised from the dead. You guys crucified him, but he raised from the dead. That this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected and has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which must be saved. When we have clarity in who and how it is that you and I are saved and experience salvation, courage comes. When we spend time singing songs that tell us again that we're redeemed because of what Jesus did and not what we did, it, it begins to build our courage. Peter, is able to say, this happened, you killed him, and he rose from the dead. And this is weeks, maybe a couple months prior, when he was a completely different person and he responded in a completely different way and denied Jesus. And now a few months later, he's a changed person because the good news, the gospel has sunk in deeper and he has more clarity of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and his courage increases. When we drift, from the good news, and when we get distracted, and the good news becomes fuzzy, or convoluted, or even changed, courage will decrease. If, and, and, and let's just be honest, among us right now in our church, we have to be aware that there are some of us that are struggling with the uniqueness of Jesus, and the exclusivity of the good news that Jesus taught and Jesus lived. And that is because of the time and place in which we live. There is nothing wrong with being challenged in that, but we are invited even in that challenge to return to the uniqueness of Jesus and the exclusivity of the good news, which is actually tremendously inclusive, but it is so easy in our world and in our time, and in the classrooms we find ourselves, in the conversations we find ourselves in our workplaces, when Jesus is actually looked down upon, not because of the way that he behaved, but because of what he taught, which is exactly what Peter is teaching here, that salvation is found in no one else, and it is by Jesus' name that we must be saved and only can be saved, and there is no other one that can save. Because if there are other ones that can be saved, why do we need to be courageous about Jesus Why do we need to be bold for Jesus if somebody can find their own way to salvation, whatever that may mean? But the truth of scripture and the life of Jesus and the good news that brings salvation is that it is only with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we're able to be saved. And that word saved is so fantastic And as we get more clarity on what that word means, we realize it doesn't just mean a future salvation from sin and eternity in heaven. It means a salvation that begins now, and it means a salvation that is holistic. And even if you trace back only in the just the previous few chapters, and in chapter two it's mentioned a couple times, and just two verses earlier when it talks about somebody being healed, it's the exact same word that talks about being saved. This man was healed and could walk again and because it's part of the salvation that God brings and we don't all experience physical healing but we're all promised that we will be whole at the end of time after judgment and we're redeemed and resurrected and that clarity on what the good news is and what salvation means for all of eternity gives us confidence to stand and say, Jesus is the only way and he is so wonderful and so unique and so forgiving and so powerful and so true and so real. Let me tell you because I've been with him and I trust that the Holy Spirit is gonna empower me in this moment to talk about how good and wonderful he is. The last one's this, courage for Jesus comes from choosing Jesus above all others habitually. Verse 17 says this, there's this dilemma that these leaders find themselves in Dude's been healed. Everybody can see it. These people are listening to Peter and John talk about Jesus and the power and the name of Jesus. And they don't want people to start following them and they certainly don't want to lose power and they don't believe in Jesus. And so they want them to stop. And so in verse 17 is there kind of the conclusion of their internal dialogue. They've sent Peter and John out of the room and verse 17 says but to stop this from spreading any further among the people we must warn them Peter and John to speak no longer to any anyone in his name and then they called him in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus and here's Peter and John's response but Peter and John replied which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him you be the judges as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Isn't that, isn't that great? We can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help speaking about Jesus. You're telling us to stop, and you have power. And the next, the next verse actually says, after further warnings, they sent them on their way, which means they've been warning them all along, and they continue to warn them. And as we continue on in the book of Acts, we're going to see how more and more of this happens. But... But they said, we can choose you and your power, or we can choose Jesus. And we can't listen to you, but we can listen to Jesus. Because Jesus is true, and Jesus is real, and Jesus is alive, and Jesus is directing me to listen to him and not to you. Our courage comes when we build the muscle of saying yes to Jesus and no to everyone else on a regular basis. It takes practice. it it gets easier over time. One of the things that I love about being in a church that is multi-generational, if we were all the same age, and I, I have to believe the early church was, was multi-generational as well. But um, if we were all the same age, man, we would be in such a mess. Like who would be our mentors? Where would we find wisdom? Like wisdom would be like, oh, I feel like I'm the wise one today. Here you go. Oh, that didn't work. Sorry. Like, when we're a multi-generational church, we have those of you that have lived with Jesus longer than others of us. And you can tell us and share with us your mistakes, your failures, your victories, your success, where you've succeeded. And you can share that with us and go, this is, and, and we have a, we do that so well as a church. Those of you that have journeyed with Jesus farther and in life further and said, this is what's, what's really worked. This is where we really failed. This is when we needed to get help and what that looked like. And for, for those of you that are on the younger end and you're just following Jesus to, to actually say like, I need to hear from you because I haven't, I haven't experienced that yet. And this seems really scary, or I'm not even sure what to do here because we have options in front of us all the time. And we're learning how do we say yes to Jesus when there's so many other voices and competing volume in our life. And how do we say yes to Jesus? And, and not just to, to do it once with the really big things, but in the really baby steps of life, of when we're in a, a classroom where we're hearing things that we know conflict with the truth of Scripture. When we're being asked to do something in a job. I had a young gal here a, a, a few years ago, a single gal trying to get ahead in her firm uh, and shared the struggle of what it was like to, to work in a place where nobody else knew Jesus and she's trying to do her job well and to um, be diligent in it and, and, and advance and get ahead and, and succeed in her, her vocation. But one of the pathways to do that was to hang out with everybody else after work days and drink a whole lot of alcohol. And so there's a lot of money that's spent and there's a lot of decisions that come after that. But realizing the way that that workplace worked was the, the partner that hosted those things on a regular basis, if you wanted to get ahead with that person, you had to go out and drink and said, I can't, I can't keep doing this. And that struggle when everything of her career said, you have to follow this line. And she's like, but as I'm learning who Jesus is and what it's like to follow him today, is I can't keep doing that. And so I have to say no, and it's gonna be really costly. And it's really hard the first few times, but then it got easier for her over time. And courage comes when we learn to say yes to Jesus above all others, habitually, regularly, make that part of our life. There's four things that courage for Jesus comes from. Being with Jesus, being filled by the Holy Spirit. God's so faithful to do that. By growing clarity of the good news and by choosing Jesus above all others habitually. And then there's one thing that courage for Jesus comes with and it's just guaranteed and it's just part of it. It comes with a cost. It comes with a cost. The simple reality is that we cannot have everyone else like us, be fans of us, approve of what we believe or how we live or the choices that we make or the way that we think about the world when we follow Jesus and his word. And it comes at a cost that we can't win with everyone and follow Jesus. And Peter and John were willing to say, we're gonna listen to him over you and that's, we're going to pay a cost for that. And as we get down to the book of Acts, we'll read more about what that looks like. This story is a turning point. We just finished chapter three and we're into chapter four. From chapter four through the end of book of Acts, which is chapter 28, there's 25 chapters. There's only three of them that do not mention suffering and persecution. This is preparation for how to be courageous in the world right now, knowing that it's going to cost us to follow Jesus. Let me read this and then we'll go to communion. The band can can come. This is a quote from from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, and he wrote it in December. Proposed in January, arrested in April. Didn't have another free day. But as 1942 was ending and 1943 was beginning, he writes this, Who stands fast? Only the man whose final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, or his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all this when he is called to obedient and responsible action in faith and in exclusive allegiance to God. The responsible man, we can say person, the responsible person who tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and call of God. That what if our lives look like? There's people. We're stepping in to conversations and situations that require courage and boldness, because they're following Jesus, that as I experience them, they just seem like they've been with Jesus, not because they have a shirt or a bumper sticker or bracelet or anything like that, but they just seem like people who have been with Jesus. Would we grow and to become more courageous and bold and confident in our world today and our life today, knowing that there's a cost to be paid? trusting that God is going to fill us with the spirit as we need Jesus as we come to your table this morning we do so with a clarity that we need you that we cannot do it on our own and this morning Jesus we bring a request that you would give us boldness and confidence that you would give us courage to be your daughters and sons your voice in the world today knowing that It will cost us something eventually, at some moment, in some form. And Thank you for being our example and our model to emulate, who laid down your entire life for us. We come today knowing that the only way to salvation, the only way to have hope in this world, is to be reliant and dependent on your
0: grace and your forgiveness, on your life laid down.